when we look at traditional astrological archetypes, we find that most of them, you know, have their roots deeply entrenched in Greek mythology. They're far older than that, but those are the ones that we tend to work with from a traditional astrological perspective. So when I became interested in astrology, when I started studying myself, as somebody who was on the priestess divine feminine pathway, I just thought, you know, these um, archetypes are not really benefiting women, mm. you know, um, these archetypical stories that we hear and, you know, particularly the archetypes of Jupiter and Mars, which can be, you know, very hyper-masculinized. Um, how do we relate to them as women? Mm. Um, because in traditional astrology, it's only really the moon and Venus that are viewed through the feminine lens. Mm. So a lot of my work um, started with redefining that, you know, retracing these archetypes back down through history and uncovering the goddess, which seems to be, you know, the work of all of us who are following this pathway, doesn't <laughs> we have to kind of dig deep. Yes. To find her, but she's always there. Yeah. So for me, you know, changing the name slightly, feminizing them really helps to kind of bring in this new frequency mm -hmm. and to kind of see them in a different way. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cyclical Living Podcast, a podcast that will inspire and empower you to live your full, cyclical, soulful life. I am Sara Dusalara founder of the Wild Rose Mystery School, a place dedicated to reawakening the wild cyclical ways of our earth, body, and soul. Enjoy this episode, my love. Maria Jones is an intuitive astrologer and a priestess of Avalon, trained in the Avalonian lineage with many years of experience in giving readings and holding sacred space. Maria is deeply devoted to bringing back the ancient feminine mysteries. Her work is designed to weave together the astrological cycles of the cosmos and the seasonal movements of the earth, which are of course intimately intertwined and profoundly affect us on all levels. Maria offers one-on-one -on -one astrology readings and also hosts star priestess and priestess trainings in goddess-centered astrology. Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Cyclical Living Podcast and today's guest is Maria Jones, also known as Star Priestess uh, on her socials. And so welcome Maria on this podcast. Um, yeah, as I was saying before is that Maria is an astrologer, but very, very beautifully from the goddess perspective um, point of view. And this is something that I really desired to bring into the Cyclical Living podcast, actually, when I first started in season one, but took until now, but that's totally fine, right? Everything in divine timing. But it feels really good. And I'm super excited to be hearing from Maria um, about some of the bigger cycles. As you know, in this podcast, we speak a lot about the cycles in the body, the cycles on the earth. But let's not forget the cycles of the planets and the solar system that we are part of that completely move us. So yeah, that's why I'm super happy to have this uh, episode today with Maria. <laughs> 
Yeah. And maybe before we dive in, I will say a little thing right now in my house. It's full house. There are many people downstairs. Um, so if people hear stuff in the background, that's, that's why. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, welcome, Maria. My very first question always is to ask what cyclical living means to you and how you kind of bring that into your life. Uh, what perspective you have on that. So if you could share with us. Thank you. It's so beautiful to be here with you in this uh, beautiful space. Um, for me, I feel like I am always observing some kind of cycle as an astrologer. It's cycles within cycles. So think for most of us, the one that we are most familiar with is the, the moon cycle or the lunar cycles. So for me, um, I like to really focus on those each month and really set my intentions with the new moon and do ceremony and releasing around the full moon. I feel like that's a really easy way to stay aligned without knowing all of the technicalities of astrology. Um, but, you know, observing my own chart, observing the collective cycles um, is really important to me because they affect us all so deeply on spiritual, psychic and physical levels. So I feel like the more we live in alignment with that, as our ancestors did, mm -hmm. the more that we can move with the cycles of divine timing. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's really important to honor these cycles with ceremony. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And actually funny that it comes up right away because today I was doing the preparation for uh, the Wise Woman Rising where I also guide to work with the cycles of the moon but then in relation to the feminine body so mm -hmm. um the menstrual cycle and even afterwards you know that the cycles of especially female bodies are so closely linked with the moon and as you say at dark moon we can do stuff and at new moon we at full moon we can do stuff and in some bodies that manifest as bleeding at dark moon or full moon and then vice versa with ovulation um, or energetically and so these ceremonies that you speak about with the moon I do them too and then linking that with the body and the moon and you got this beautiful magical cocktail of connection <laughs> with cycles going on there <laughs> yeah absolutely. absolutely I think it's so important for us as women to reclaim those cycles and we always feel into the moon, I think, because we can see her cycles, yeah. we can observe them really easily. Um, that's a really great entry point to working in this way. Um, but each of the planetary bodies has an impact on our physicality as well. You know, they um, resonate with the different minerals and chemicals and hormonal systems so you know in uh, in some astrological traditions you know we can relate all of these movements to different organs of the body as well so it really is uh, an embodied practice in many ways you know we often think of it being quite cosmic yeah. but you know really we are actually made of stardust and the same mm. minerals 
rituals as yeah. these planetary goddesses as well so mm-hmm. and the sun of course the sun right we we mm-hmm. are sunlight in a material form as well and in essence you know as we are eating plants who are transforming sunlight into matter and then we digest that so ultimately if we trace it far back enough it, we are the sun as well just walking around so yeah it is a lot more close to home um i love that you brought that in and you were also speaking about reclaiming like that feminine aspect of it and that is something that i find very revolutionary in your work is to me the way that you work with astrology it's so from the feminine perspective you also name all the planets you you speak of them in in female names and maybe you can speak a little bit more about that because i noticed for me when i follow you when you speak about these feminine archetypes in the form of these planets it just resonates so much more than only the masculine ones which don't have to leave the stage altogether but because the feminines once we're not on the stage it's really refreshing to see that from that feminine perspective as well so can you speak a little bit about that for uh, the listeners who are curious about that i would love to um so when we look at traditional astrological archetypes we find that most of them you know have their roots deeply entrenched in Greek mythology. They're far older than that, but those are the ones that we tend to work with from a traditional astrological perspective. So when I became interested in astrology, when I started studying myself, as somebody who was on the priestess divine feminine pathway, I just thought, you know, these Um, archetypes are not really benefiting women Mm. you know Um, these archetypical stories that we hear and you know particularly the archetypes of Jupiter and Mars which can be you know very hyper masculinized Um, how do we relate to them as women Mm. Um, because in traditional astrology it's only really the moon and Venus that are viewed through feminine lens. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my work um, started with redefining that, you know, retracing these archetypes back down through history and uncovering the goddess, which seems to be, you know, the work of all of us who are following this pathway, doesn't we have to kind of dig deep to find her, but she's always there. For me, you know, changing the name slightly, feminizing them really helps to kind of bring in this new frequency mm-hmm. and to kind of see them in a different way. Yeah. And could you give an example? So, for example, in, in instead of saying Saturn, who is the grandfather, who mm-hmm. would that be in your uh, way of speaking about it? I'm glad you asked about Saturn because she is my favorite. Oh, it just came up, you know, intuition. We're we're tapped into the field, right? (laughs) Capricorn moon. So me and Saturn are very good friends. Um, So in traditional astrology, Saturn is obviously Kronos, who is most famous for devouring his own children. Yeah. But if we look back through time, we can see that she was actually originally a feminine archetype. 
And I think even the name Kronos can lead us back to the understanding of the goddess in her crone form. So meaning time, she's the mistress of time and karma. Um, so from our perspective, Saturn is very much the ancient one, the Kaliak, the keeper of wisdom and lineage, and also the initiatrix, you know, she mm. holds the boundary of the solar system. So she carries all of um, these qualities of discipline and focus and initiation, but we view that much more from the perspective of the feminine, of the wise elder, rather than this um devouring god mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah it makes total sense and that is how i personally before naming it in the feminine mm -hmm. perspective i also worked with saturn is mm -hmm. in, in the spiritual community it often gets a very bad rap of oh saturn dum 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 the big bad wolf is there you know devouring the babies yeah. mm -hmm. um but it is also as you say like are the grandfather or the grandmother who just lovingly sets boundaries from her from their wisdom from walking a very long earth walk and knowing what works what doesn't work and so it's very much from that love um, that I also work with Saturn and I notice that if you kind of work a bit on the relationship with with Saturn how it's placed in your personal mm -hmm. chart it's actually very beneficial and to understand also some of the limitations in your life that keep popping up and understanding them and uh, learning to lovingly work with them. Although I do notice as, as mm -hmm. I'm now turning 27, so I'm almost at my Saturn return mm -hmm. and my friends as well. And I, and I notice with a couple of friends lovingly from afar that for some, the Saturn return hits quite hard. Um, yeah, which to me, it links a little bit of how conscious we work with it or not which doesn't mean that if, if we were conscious with it, that all of a sudden we have this magical path. But um, yeah, how do you uh, advise people in, in that or with a Saturn return or, or something like that? Or maybe what it is, because maybe some people who are listening are like, what is a Saturn return? <laughs> what is she talking about? <laughs> so this is one of the longer cyclical energies that we work with in astrology. Um, and it is one that gets a little bit of a scary reputation. You know, everyone goes, oh, Saturn return. It's become a little bit of a buzzword over the past few years. Um, so when we have our Saturn return from a technical point of view, Saturn is returning to the same signs, uh, sign and degrees of your chart as she was at the moment you were born. So if you're born um, 94 to 96, you're going to be coming up for your Saturn return. Yes. <laughs> and the Saturn return is about growth and maturation. So we do often feel the weight of Saturn. You know, with any Saturn transit, we will feel the weight of responsibility. We will feel her lovingly or sometimes fiercely actually nudging us to make changes we often see Saturn coming in with her scythe if we look at the glyph of Saturn it often looks a little bit like a scythe so she comes in and she kind of cuts away mm. all of the dead weight so yeah. that we can get really serious about where we're going so she loves commitment she loves discipline 
So when we lean into her and we work with her instead of resisting, we can actually build something great. There's always a harvest time with Saturn. You know, she always rewards us for our hard work. And at the moment, you know, she's about to come into Pisces where, you know, you'll be having your Saturn return. And Pisces has, a, Saturn in Pisces has a lot to do with karmic clearing. Mm. It has a lot to do with, um, you know, doing the deep ancestral work, doing the deep devotion to our spiritual practice because Pisces is such a deeply spiritual sign. So it can be a time of getting really serious about your healing journey and your pathway too. Mm -hmm. So I could probably talk about Saturn return for the whole. Yeah, um, or maybe even for the collective as well, for those who don't have their Saturn return, but still Saturn and Pisces, these same topics apply for us as humanity as a whole, as what we're moving through, um, at least in the subconscious or for some people, the conscious. Uh, so even all these topics that you're saying, it's to me, it's yes, it could be applied to those who have their Saturn return, which might amplify the feelings and the emotions of it. But it, nonetheless, for all others, it still um, has an effect and is felt often. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, we're talking in early March and she's just about to enter March. Pisces um, on the 7th. Um, Saturn moving into Pisces in early March and Pluto moving into Aquarius um, just days after the equinox on the 23rd. Um, it's a clearing up of the karmic residue from the age of Pisces, you know, that two thousand years of patriarchal rule religious oppression and you know hopefully we're all going to cross that threshold into this age of aquarius mm. um which the highest expression of is community collaboration equality and fairness mm. the shadows can also be present there as well um you know things like technocracy but also, you know, it's for all of us to make the sovereign choice around which expression we will choose, you know, from that sovereign place within us. Yeah, 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 totally resonates. And can you speak a little bit more about Pluto and her archetype and, um, yeah, what, what it means or what she might, well, you already said what the energies she's going to bring if she transitions into Aquarius. And, of course, as we are transitioning from the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius, that amplifies that so much more. But can you speak a little bit about the archetype of Pluto also in the personal chart for people um, who know like oh for example I have my Pluto in Cancer and then maybe a little bit on, on how that works because as I'm hearing also all these astrology basically it's just cycles and cycles and cycles and cycles and cycles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at a piece mm -hmm. of um, sacred geometry right now which has a lot of cycles like the flower of life for example you have the Vesica Pisces mm -hmm. behind you um, right and that kind of feels like mm, that's what we're doing and that's maybe why so many people can get confused when they're going into astrology because it's like a never-ending spiral cycle I love it I can get I can't get enough of it personally but um yeah so can you speak a little bit about all these cycles of Pluto we've had a little bit the big one 
but maybe also the archetype of Pluto and the personal cycles. Absolutely. Pluto is my other favorite. You know, it's another one of the big bads, isn't it? But I love her. I'm very Plutonic and Scorpionic myself. So again, you know, I've had to learn to build that relationship with her, which I would recommend that anybody um, who feels a challenge in their birth chart does is to kind of cultivate an understanding and a relationship with that planetary goddess. Mm. So we have Saturn, who is the crone, the Kaliak, the wise one. And then we have Pluto, who is the dark goddess. Ooh, so she's I love me a dark goddess. <laughs> me too, it's my favorite. <laughs> So she's Kali, she's Hecate, she's Keridwin. Mm. So she is that very serpentine energy of alchemy and transformation. So when we have a Pluto transit or when we're a Plutonic or Scorpionic person, there's often a big death rebirth process that we find ourselves going through. Mm -hmm. It's that real shedding of the old, the dying of the old self in order to be reborn that we experience with Pluto. Mm. The highest Pluto Scorpio archetype is actually the Phoenix. Mm. And that's how we feel after we've worked with Pluto. You know, we feel reborn. We feel like we've reclaimed our power. So it can be a deep journey into the underworld with her. But again, the rewards are great. Mm. and she is another generational planet um so saturn is generational but she stays in a sign for around two and a half years so she moves much more quickly mm -hmm. pluto's orbit is more erratic um she doesn't spend the same amount of time in every sign mm. um but for most of us i think if you're born in you know from the mid 80s onwards you are going to be part of the pluto in scorpio generation like me i'm mm. in 84 all Pluto in Sagittarius. Mm -hmm, that's me. So, um, it's, uh, it's slightly different expression. Um, Pluto in Scorpio generation, you know, we are the ones who are transforming. You know, we're burning the old town. We're doing Scorpio. Hardcore. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know the, the living incarnations of the dark goddess. Um, and Pluto in Sagittarius is about the transformation of ideologies and belief systems so mm. we can see how this generation who are coming into their Saturn return right now are big paradigm shifters yes. you know? mm -hmm. they want something to believe in but they don't want that same religious oppression or puritanicalness as previous generation so i would highly recommend that you look into your pluto generation and also um, on a personal level you can look at what house she is in in your natal chart because with generational planets we need to you know really investigate the houses and the themes of that house um, will be very personally alchemical for you so it's where you'll find your power but also where you'll feel that energy of the dark goddess always mm. pushing you forward mm. always calling you to transform so if you have pluto in the seventh house for example 
plutonic energy is working through your relationships mm. it's the 10th house it is your work and career um so i really highly met, recommend um looking up that pluto placement particularly if you're pluto in scorpio because as she goes into aquarius um, depending on degree, over the next um, 20 years or so, you'll be having your Pluto square, which is mm -hmm. another one of those astrological rites of passage, like the <laughs> return. Yes. So, oh, lots mm -hmm. of information there. I could mm -hmm. talk about Pluto all day. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, when you said the Pluto square, maybe for the people who are very like, mm, can you speak a little bit about what they, this would bring up or this might... Um how this might manifest absolutely so pluto as i touched on has a slightly erratic orbit so we have this at different ages in our life depending on what pluto generation we are mm -hmm. um, but everybody will have it at some point um, it's usually late 30s to mid 40s and the Pluto square is when we really meet that energy of Pluto, when we're really looking at our own shadows, fears, obsessions. Mm. Um, but also it's where we find our power and magic. So whereas Saturn calls us to build, it calls for maturity and responsibility. Pluto is about stripping away anything that isn't in alignment with your truth. Mm -hmm. From an evolutionary perspective, Pluto is the planet that calls us forward onto our highest pathway of destiny. Mm. So it tends to be that kind of revealing of what has been beneath the surface so that you can break free and move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. And I love that these two actually came up because when, when we, when you explain it like this, what they hold, it just, um, I feel how, how they really feed my daily life. These are the kind of topics that I'm uh, with. So I love how they just naturally came up as well. And I think it's very beneficial to hear also people who are listening and who are very interested in knowing more. Um, I personally did a reading with Maria. She did my whole birth chart and some of the transitions. And honestly, that's so helpful. Um, so all those who are listening, that's like a warm shout out right now to really um, have your chart looked at. And if you feel a vibe, Maria is amazing too. And like I said, very unique because the perspective is so feminine. So I imagine that I have a lot of feminine listeners. It's really beautiful to have that from this feminine perspective from the goddess part. Mm, totally. And so when you speak about Pluto as this dark goddess for me that's always Morgana she is my main the main phase of the dark goddess that I work with or mm. the Morgan her her all her faces who <laughs> can be quite fierce um but also very loving as in that to me the energy of the dark mother is the one that descends with you it's not the one who stays from the outside and says like oh i'm just going to send in some love and light no she's going mm -hmm. right down there with you <laughs> uh, and that's very comforting as well uh, to work with these type of archetypes to know that you're never alone and you're always protected by the dark mother as well and so if we are transitioning 
with Pluto in Aquarius, I imagine that a lot of stuff is going to come up for us as humans, as a collective. And could you give us some, maybe some tips and tricks on how to navigate these uh, waters that are coming, these deep, deep scorpionic waters that we're facing, um, even though it's an Aquarius still, you know, Pluto really carries that Scorpio energy with her. Absolutely. Um, this is a once in a lifetime transit. Um, like I mentioned, it only happens around once every 248 years. Mm. So I really believe that we've all chosen to be alive during this time, to be part of this transition. And for me, Pluto going into Aquarius is the beginning of the Aquarian age. It mm. feels incredibly significant. So Pluto is currently, as we're speaking, on the 29th, the final degree of Capricorn, which is that sign of patriarchy, you know, it's government, it's corporations, it's that system that we are collectively wanting to break free of. Mm -hmm. And as she goes into Aquarius, the focus will be much more on power to the people. Mm. It's a rebellious energy. It's a revolutionary energy. So this is the time when people will rise up and say, no more. Mm. You know, if we look back through history, we can see things like the American Revolution, the French Revolution okay. happening as um, Pluto has made this transition from Capricorn to Aquarius in previous generations. My own uh, personal favorite story around this is um, Boudicca, you know, when Boudicca led the rebellion against the Romans, <laughs> Pluto was in Aquarius. So we can see this kind of fierce energy, this radical desire for freedom and fairness comes in. Um, but it's not instant because Pluto will kind of go back into Capricorn. Okay. Um, July and then back into Aquarius again in January of 2024 mm. and then in the the autumn of 2024 she actually goes back into Capricorn again for a few weeks and then fully in Aquarius. Making sure we really did all our shadow work and we didn't skip yeah. anything. <laughs> Making sure we broke down all those, uh, those structures. <laughs> so it might feel hard but it's in our benefit. <laughs> It really is. I really feel like this is the time when we can start to progress. You know, there's a lot of people that are going to be waking up with these two transits. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe also those that have woken up that are actually going to stand and, um, you know, stop uh, having those desired courses or workshops or whatever mm -hmm. they want to create. Mm -hmm. Stop having it only on the drive, but taking it out of the cloud and out into the world. I think that as well, because I feel like many people right now are already awakened, are already mm -hmm. aware, but kind of are waiting for those last pieces of courage to take steps and take aligned action and their Pluto and Aquarius, as I feel it, they can really help us to go out and, and take those steps and not alone in community. For me, Aquarius is always community based. And as you say, Pluto is a generational planet. That also means that it's, it's not just me, which would be maybe more of Mars energy, more of like the self is going to do stuff. Mm -hmm. It's more of like us 
we are going to do stuff. Absolutely. It has to be for the good of the whole when we're working with Aquarian energy. So it's the web. So it's just remembering that we're one strand yeah. in um, in her great web. But Jupiter's in Aries at the moment as well. We've got a lot oh. of Aries activity coming up. <laughs> I'm not saying bad stuff about Aries because I'm Aries Sun, Aries Mars. So I love Aries, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I think they're also in the spiritual journey as well that's my personal process is that we always speak about the ego and then you know mars and 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 aries can be such a they speak of us like the the little child who still has its ego up but i feel that's also yes it might be but that's the shadow that's focusing on the shadow of aries so maybe you can speak about all the beautiful gifts that we bring <laughs> and you as well you're an aries too aries son <laughs> I am a very early degree Aries. I'm an Uber Aries, actually. I have lots of planets in the first house. Yeah. Um, very similar to yourself. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of Aries activity coming up around the equinox. We've got Jupiter in Aries. We've got two new moons in Aries, one of them being an eclipse. Ooh. Zero degrees, 29 degrees. So very powerful Aries new moons and Aries is the initiatrix Aries is the first sign the beginning of all things she is that warrioress she is that Boudicca type mm. energy you know she's Freya mm. um, and she is the sign that is the empowerer you know she gives others the courage to move forward so you know when we're working with Aries energy we say you know if not now then when you know you just have to take that that leap you just have to take that courageous action and believe in yourself you know Aries is all about self-confidence mm. and self-belief so we kind of take that authentic fire within us and we bravely take it out into the world mm. so for me those archetypes of Aries being a bit of a baby are a little bit outdated you know again it's that kind of patriarchal astrology mm. um but for me she's very much that fire that rises within us at the equinox beautiful yes yeah mm-hmm that's uh that's also how i feel it's like you know aries can close its eyes and completely trust and move ahead where other signs might be want to think about it a little bit more but then get stuck in the mind the airy spires just don't go and we'll see what happens which is very needed yeah. right is that that pure courage as well it's very courageous mm. Beautiful. So that's a, a lot of stuff coming our way. But as always, um, with astrology, it keeps on moving. And a question that kind of is yearning in my heart to be asked is um, also, I'm, I'm, what I find very important personally is also to kind of link things with the wealth that we've been given from our ancestors but then we had kind of like a chasm um, and I feel with astrology it's the same when we speak about astrology our ancestors used to build temples and stones in alignment with the stars I'm thinking about the druids and before because they're probably older than the druids and and also in Egypt and the Mayans right we have so many 
powerful cultures who aligned themselves with this greater wisdom of these cycles that very much have an effect on us. But then with the enlightenment and the time of the rationale and the mind, I feel there's a lot of um, ridicule that has been put onto astrology. And even in today's world, you know, when, when you say we're into astrology, I mean, many, many people know of it, but many people also ridicule it. Um, and that's where I don't, I don't know where I'm going with my question, but <laughs> I kind of just want to hear also your perspective, your point of view of the importance of astrology and not so much as trying to convince people who don't believe in it to believe, right? That's mm-hmm. their journey and it not, none is better than the other, but also for um, those of us who really do feel like, wow, it has a massive effect on, and maybe the history or the her story of it, if you have some words to speak about that, how it is very ancient mystery school or mystery study absolutely i think all priestess lineages in times gone by would have studied astrology Mm. um to the ancient people there was no question that the cycles of the planets and stars impacted not only events here on earth but also our own personal destinies Mm. and physical bodies and beings as well so um, in ancient times it would have been quite normal for an astrologer to have been present at the birth of all children you know Mm. casting a chart Um, so the parents could you know guide that soul in the best way possible Um, astrologers would have you know every community would have had an astrologer that would have helped them to know when to seed know when to harvest that would have also been a bit of a bard you know telling the stories of the people in the tribe through witnessing Mm. the rising and settings of constellations And even in um, later times, even as we come into that kind of age of Aries, age of Pisces, which was much more patriarchal, we still have a lot of evidence that kings, that chieftains, all had priestess astrologers, even as their wives, but often, you know, in court as, Mm. you know, the court oracle that would give guidance towards the outcomes of, you know, certain battles that they were waging or, you know, things that they were doing to um, improve their communities. So even um, right up to the times of Delphi, um, kings were still visiting priestess astrologers and oracles for guidance you know it got a bit distorted as time went on you know the priest started to interpret the words of the priestess oracle and things changed a little bit um but even you know if we look at the kind of avalonian myths and the grail myths Mm. um the king would be married to the land through the priestess who would have been you know schooled in many arts but astrology and divination would have definitely been one of them. Wow. So that's yeah. my, yeah, a little glimpse into my perspective of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm. it's beautiful. I didn't know that for it, it really went on for such a long time um, where uh, that that union uh, was, was still present between 
the mystical and the physical. Um, and, and I think that's also what many today are really craving and desiring more of um, because it does bring in some softness as well, um, I feel. And, and compassion, I think, if you understand more, you can be more compassionate. Um, yeah, that's really, really beautiful. Do you see it returning in these days? Or that's a big question. <laughs> I'm, I'm calling upon your oracular abilities. <laughs> a great question. Um, and absolutely, um, the time for astrology is now. Mm -hmm. um, the Aquarius is the sign of astrology and astronomy. Oh. So again, with Pluto going into Aquarius, the power of astrology becomes more prevalent in the collective again. So I would ask, you know, how are we going to use that power? Mm -hmm. because it's becoming so popular yeah. it's also becoming a little bit watered down mm -hmm. and a little bit misused or misconstrued so through the work that i do we're kind of blending the ancient wisdom with our aquarian vision for the future mm -hmm. so that we can be that bridge and you know really bring astrology forward in a way that honors both the feminine and masculine and the light and shadow because for me astrology is very powerful because it doesn't deny the shadow you know we all have our Pluto so it's about integration and wholeness and when we start to understand our chart in all of its shadow and light it can give us um, as you've just touched on, that great compassion for ourselves and for others. I think it would be a great thing for every parent to know mm -hmm. their child's birth chart, to know the ways that they would like to be nurtured and the unique gifts mm -hmm. they come in with. You know, I think it could be a great addition mm -hmm. to society yeah. in many ways. Yeah, as in that we all need these types of structures to give some sense of stability and comfort and, as you say, uh, guidance in a way. Which and, and that's what I also feel the beauty of astrology is that I don't feel it's in a, a restrictive way. It's very much of an assistance because that's one, one thing that I hear a lot of people saying that astrology is a self-fulfilling prophecy. And... Maybe if you read the tabloid astrology version and you repeat it to yourself often enough, then probably yes. But when it comes to really tracking those cycles and the houses and the placements and having the full bird chart and tracking all of them, it becomes much more than a self-fulfilling prophecy. It becomes a really powerful tool of looking within oneself and one's own journey and strengths and shadows and how to be more gentle with yourself and also build on your strength um for me as as i said we, we already spoke about aries in mm -hmm. my life some people give me some shadow on being like in my aries power but that just knowing understanding the the, the qualities of aries makes me not shrivel down under those things but stand in that beautiful power because i know the beauty and the shadow of it and and you become self-sourced in a way as well because of that inter 
close connection with all these cycles and being a part of a bigger whole, this beautiful harmonic cycling solar system and universe that we're part of, right? (laughs) I think in those ancient mystery schools, astrology was a tool for Mm self-actualization and self-realization. You know, it helps us to develop this sense of self-acceptance, but also Mm self-mastery as well through understanding the unique challenges that our soul chose to embrace in this incarnation and these beautiful gifts that we bring through as well Mm -hmm. so we can really tune into those higher expressions of self and you know astrology is plutonic in a way because it reveals such deep truth Mm -hmm. and so I always say to my students you know how much do you want to know (laughs) how much do you feel comfortable knowing right because you can go deep and deep Mm -hmm. and deep and deep (laughs) how how long did you uh do you walk the path of an astrologer i'm curious now i've always been very interested in astrology and i um was very blessed to grow up in a uh, way that nurtured my spiritual seeking so mm-hmm. um, I was always interested I was always aligning with the moon and you know I was always studying charts from a very early age but I actually got really serious about it with my Saturn return mm. um, and mine was in Scorpio in the eighth house so it's all about the deep mystery and okay. the occult that kind of energy um so for me astrology is also alchemy Mm -hmm. you can't separate those two things Mm -hmm. um so it is the alchemization of the um, denser aspects of self through understanding to reveal that gold of the soul and you know it's really about becoming the sorceress of your own life you move in harmony with these cycles and you can manifest amazing things Mm -hmm. but you also know when it is time to stop and rest Mm -hmm. you know when it's time to put the work in you know when it's time to receive or surrender so it puts us in deep alignment with our own soul's unique pathway Mm -hmm. and it shows us that there is a right time for all things to manifest Mm -hmm. yes yeah beautiful and and Mm -hmm. that yeah like you say that that little bit of um comfort i feel as well yeah because there if there's a right time for everything that it's very comfort comforting to know that oh actually it is in the most loving timeline right now to release because Uh, or to actually do a little bit of the heart work or all of that, like you say, Mm, beautiful. Um, And I was going to ask, what would you suggest for people right now who are listening to this and who want to get deeper into astrology? Where would you suggest them to start? And um, what maybe are some practical ways that they can really integrate and live more in alignment with the cycles of the planets? So that's a really great question. And I think um, 
it's really important to understand what's going on collectively. Mm. So I would recommend, you know, starting with those very simple things like new and full moons, um, maybe listening to some astrologers that they feel drawn to, um, to kind of start to understand the archetypes and what's going on in the collective. But on a personal level, um, there are many great resources online for free that you can go and create your birth chart. You just need your time, your date and place of birth. So really start to investigate those natal placements. Obviously start with the sun sign and the moon and the rising and then down to Venus and Mars and start to really think about how you feel the expressions of these archetypes moving through you mm. um, and it is great to have a reading to have the perspective of somebody who is skilled in that way so mm. if you're drawn to me you can connect with me or if you're you know you really want to understand this through the feminine lens there are many star priestesses that I've trained now that you can <laughs> seek out and work with which feels incredible to say yeah um <laughs> But it's really, you know, part of the excitement of astrology, I think, is discovering your natal chart for the first time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then as you get more proficient, you can maybe look at transits and there's lots of mm. that. But um, there's some really great books out there as well. There's a great book by um, Danielle Blackwood, The Twelve Faces of the Goddess, which talks about um, the divine feminine archetypes as well so that's a really great place to start in astrology or just yeah. in general mm -hmm. uh, in astrology yes oh that's beautiful yeah mm -hmm. but as you said doing your charts it is very um very potent and <laughs> it reminds me of this meme uh on the internet that cycles where um there's a a boy he, he texts or a man a young man he texts his mother mom what time was i born with what minute and the mother replies get away from her <laughs> because you know people who are into astrology it's like oh i'm, I'm gonna partner up with this person better do the chart <laughs> and i totally did that with my partner um yeah so but i didn't get any resistance from the mother she was happy to <laughs> share his time of birth um yeah but that's that's very beautiful uh but for the self as well um very much and um the transits as well i do about when i received your um reading which was part on the whole and then part on the transits to me like the amount of times that i repeated words that you said to me of like okay and this might take a little bit longer but you know that frustration it's all part of it and just allow it to move it really helps help me to release control also and understand that it's all part of a bigger process and to release yeah um which is a very powerful gift um to live life with yeah 100% absolutely I think it's it's really great to know um these periods of time where we might feel that Saturnian influence restriction or that plutonic underworld influence a little bit more and the great thing about astrology is that we can actually time it we can mm. say this is when things will loosen up for you this is when you're going to emerge from that dark night of the soul 
Or we can look at Jupiter and we can say, yeah, you know, Jupiter is moving through your fifth house. This is the time to be seen. This is the time to be creative. So we're always um, in alignment. But I love that meme too. And um, it's funny, but it's also really poignant, I think, because astrology can really support our relationships because Mm. it helps us to understand each other's love languages. Yes. Um, and you know the shadows and insecurities other people might have so as long as we are using it from the perspective of healing and growth Mm -hmm. I think it can be an incredible tool to help us to um, know each other and accept each other more deeply as well Mm -hmm. yeah I I deeply resonate with that um, as being together with a Scorpio sun um sometimes I might think that he's he's not uh responding but I just know oh it's all happening underneath uh, deep down in the in the dark in the pools right underneath the surface so and that does help to be more gentle or to be more understanding um or when he apologizes saying like oh I'm sorry I did that but that's because you were just being stupid I know okay it's fine it's a Scorpio that's his way of apologizing <laughs> you get even the slightest glimpse of an apology yeah (laughs) just take it just take it good that I'm Aries and I'm forgiving by nature (laughs) right but these kind of stuff we can laugh about it but when we're in the thick of it it is so helpful and it brings in so much more compassion and love and understanding for both the self and the other yeah it really does and I think you know, really understanding each other's signs, knowing which ones need a little bit more space, knowing which ones need a little bit more emotional security mm-hmm. can be really helpful. And also through knowing ourselves, we can start to know deeply what we need in a relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, the needs of a Cancerian person in a relationship, very different from the needs of an Aquarian person. Yes. in a relationship so how does that harmonize how does that synchronize Mm -hmm. um so yeah a lot of um royal marriages would have been overseen by astrologers as well in ancient times wow wow that's really cool Mm. (laughs) that puts a whole different spin on uh planned marriages (laughs) because it might even be more uh, beneficial on the long term than (laughs) going with the passion at once at times (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. yeah but that that really does bring me to kind of like also the theme of our conversation right now is that to me understanding astrology and, and and living with that consciously in your life it um also demystifies the like you say, the shadow or the going into the underworld. And this is very much where we're collectively in right now for such a long time with the previous um, Aries and Pisces, it was always up and to the light and to the union. But right now, I think also with this new period of time that we're growing into, it's more of like the all and here and accepting it all and not really fearing so much of the underworld but understanding it as just a process that we move through a process of the cycle which um is then also very physical and very daily and mundane as well not just a mystical but very very close Mm. yeah 
these um, these kind of periods between the great ages have always been times of chaos and, and upheaval mm-hmm. for the collective. So when we look back through the cycles of history, we can see that each of these kind of 2000 year transitions, there was a lot of um, collective trauma mm. that happened as one age became another and humanity evolved. So I really believe that we incarnate at this time um, to guide others through this process to help them navigate and understand this journey through the collective underworld that we're undertaking. And I like to think of our priestess ancestors or our astrologer ancestors, you know, living in times such as the one that we are now, Mm. you know, looking for signs and omens, predicting the upcoming trends and shifts. Mm. And also I think in times gone by, preserving the mysteries you know, yeah. saying, okay, we know that this change is coming. So how can we preserve this wisdom mm. for future generations? And now we're uncovering it again now. So it's like this incredible awakening and revealing, you know, apocalypse means great unveiling. Mm. Um, so it's this time of great revealing, which I think can be very destabilizing for people so just Mm -hmm. having a little map that says this is what we're going through these are the choices we have to make Mm because I think at every turning of the ages humanity has a choice and Mm -hmm. you know the age of Pisces we didn't choose so wisely with embodying those higher Pisces frequencies Mm -hmm. did we We went quite into the shadows and started giving our power away looking for saviors Mm. outside of ourselves so now we come to Aquarius and we say you know are we going to go into that shadow of Aquarius that technocracy and control and kind of virtual reality type space or are we going to go into this awakening Mm -hmm. this equality this fair distribution Mm -hmm. of resources yes and then there, of course, like the internet, it can be a tool for uh, terrible things. But honestly, the internet is a tool for such powerful, powerful mm-hmm. things. And this is also, I think, one of the reasons why there is so much chaos because of the internet and that mm-hmm. completely destabilizing the Capricornian structures of communication, mm-hmm. right? And, and then that just brings in so much more of that Aquarian energy so, so fast. And so this is... A beautiful example of how that Aquarius energy really does manifest in our lives and brings in great shifts. But like you say, mm-hmm. is be wary of the technocracy and also the shadows of it, because um, then it also brings me to the resources that we use to create these tools, which right now are in the deep, dark shadows and very dark and slavery and very, very deep. So that also for me, maybe if Pluto is coming up and showing the shadows, maybe it's time for us to also look at where we are sourcing the tools to create this, these technologies that are very beneficial that can really rise and help our, um, humanity to lift and rise but doing it from the pure place and the unity of the we the community 
and that well doer at heart, you know, the sacred rebel at heart that Aquarius is, um, instead of just further feeding the pyramid. Um, yeah. If you would give Aquarius a shape, what would it be? Is a question that just shows up. Shape. I love that question. <laughs> I immediately think of the glyph mm -hmm. for Aquarius and the astrological glyph, which is like two waves. Yes. And those can be electronic waves, mm. um, psychic waves. Mm. You know, the Aquarian age has a lot to do with this kind of telepathy as yes. well as we kind of go into that great unveiling. Um, and also Aquarius is the, the chalice bearer, oh. the grail bearer, the grail maiden. The actual sign of Aquarius is the cup bearer. Mm. So from Greek mythology, we get that as kind of Ganymedes who was the lover of Zeus but if mm. we again look back at the ancient energy of that archetype we come to the well maidens mm. you know they who carried and preserved the waters of life mm -hmm. so I would look at it as a wave but also as a chalice and i would say this is the returning of the time of the grail maidens yes yes and that divine feminine rising once mm -hmm. more taking her stage with her partner um yeah for sure and i like the waves as well as you were saying speaking that i immediately thought of more and more people connecting telepathically with mm -hmm. um other star nations as the syrians as um, right, these these other nations who are a bit further from us in the physicality, but through these ways we do get to connect and um, we are very close. And that, which is for sure going to unravel, a lot is coming up mm -hmm. and bubbling up, but I feel like in the, in the next couple of 20, 30, 40 years, who knows, who knows, but it's, it's going to shift rapidly. I feel, I hope, I hope it would be so nice if more people could accept that we are surrounded by these really beautiful beings who really want to cooperate and help and uplift humanity into more love. Hmm. Absolutely. I think um, that's Aquarius, you know, it's the cosmos. So it's reawakening yeah. our connection to our star lineages and star ancestors as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, really remembering that we're part of a cosmic ecology as mm -hmm. well. You know, we're just one planet. All yeah. of these planets have their different frequencies and energies and even beings that, um, that live upon them. I really like the theory that Venus was actually once a planet very much like Earth. Mm. so we have that kind of Venusian mm. line as well there's so much we could go into around that yes <laughs> yes of course um I really like the work of Gigi Young if anybody is interested in learning more about that um mm. check out her YouTube about what especially so about our kind of stellar connections oh, you know, and mm -hmm. you know planetary evolutionary journey and kind of more off-worldly things mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah she's yeah. fabulous mm, yes definitely um all right so is there anything else on astrology we would really like to speak into this episode mm, i would 
just encourage everybody um, if you have felt your interest stirred by this to follow the threads and go deeper because for me astrology is the goddess gift to us to help us to navigate this earthly journey so whether you want to understand that from a collective or a personal level you know open yourself up to her follow the signs and synchronicities that she offers you and um, just be open to that wisdom Mm -hmm. yes beautifully said and then my final question is Um, I ask the speakers to paint a picture on how they would imagine the world to look like if everybody was living in a cyclical way. Oh, I love that. Um, and I would love to live in that world. I know. <laughs> That's back. why I created this podcast yeah. <laughs> so it can ripple out, ripple out. <laughs> um, so for me, I envision going back, going back to the times of Avalon, going back to the times of the Druids, even going back to the times of Atlantis or Lemuria, when we all remembered our connection to the cycles of the stars and planets. Mm. You know, I envision us all living in harmony with that. I envision us all remembering these planetary beings and working in relationship with them Mm. to manifest our own unique pathways, which then weave together to create this beautiful tapestry, which creates a much more harmonious experience for everybody. You know, when we're all living in alignment purpose and doing that Aquarian thing of contributing our own unique gifts Mm. the earth would be a much more harmonious place and people would be living in a much more fulfilled way Um, but I think to do that we have to reclaim the goddess you know we have Mm. to bring that patriarchy back into harmony yes with the divine feminine and you know the Aquarian age is about balance and the unity Mm. yes beautiful Mm -hmm. beautiful yeah I love how um whenever I ask this question most answers really relate back to harmony and I I completely agree that to me is living in cycles is going back into harmony 100% beautiful and the divine union as I'm looking at the Pisces uh, the Pisces behind you that is the symbol of divine union that portal of birth um, which uh, you know is, is really really beautiful as well all right so people who want to work with you how can they find you and also I know that you're offering your um, priestess training to uh, become an astrologer ourselves from that path that you said right now it's in person in Glastonbury are you thinking of putting it online and that's really just a selfish question for me because mm. I'm very interested in that <laughs> uh, but also for listeners who want to connect with you if they want to do a reading where can they find you so you can find me uh, through my website Stella Mystery School you can book readings through there um 
you can also find a link to my um, Star Priestess training, which is run through the amazing Glastonbury Goddess Temple. So there'll be a link there that will take you to their Temple Teachings website where you can learn all about the spiral which is in person in the land this year and I was really keen to do that after being online for a couple mm. of years because of yeah. you know everything that's been going on um, because in Glastonbury you know we have this amazing terrestrial zodiac where you can literally walk from the age of Pisces <laughs> into <laughs> Aquarius um, so it's a real lived and embodied experience mm. you know star watching on the tour and all of that good stuff mm. as well as learning our own natal charts um, but there will be something smaller um, maybe some kind of star oracle training offered online during the summer as well because so many people are you know really um, drawn to connect with this energy and reconnect with these feminine stellar mysteries so mm. I'm doing everything in my power me and my priestesses to yeah birth that into being and how that spread as yeah. we go into this age of Aquarius that's beautiful and it's mm. very very as I said it's revolutionary and refreshing and whole and complete to have it from the goddess perspective um mm. yes so it, it truly feels like the kind of offers that you have is truly about embodying that ancient priestess mm. oracular being who was very much at the center of the community guiding and supporting mm. and yeah offering that strong strong support mm. as we've been speaking about the whole time so amazing all links will be down below and i want to thank you so much for offering your wisdom with us i want to thank you for listening to this episode my love if you feel inspired to work with me on a deeper level, then I invite you to check out my offers on my website, wildrosemysteryschool.com or through Instagram where you can find me as deuce.sarah. And for now, sending you much love and cyclical bliss. Bye-bye.